And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. In the councils of government, we must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought, by the military-industrial complex. That we can, and so help us God, we will make America great again. What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the No Gimmicks Podcast. I'm your humble host, as always, Brady Leonard. Hope you guys are having a terrific week. Uh, big show today. I was joined by uh, Stephanie Slade from Reason Magazine. Uh, first time having Stephanie on, and it was it was a great conversation. Uh, I think you guys will really enjoy it. Uh, before I get to Stephanie, I need to say hi to our friends over at Man Beard Company. Gentlemen, you've officially, you've officially been challenged to the Quarantine Beard Challenge. No shaving until the bar is open. Put the razor down, walk away, and use this time when you are locked in your home to grow a wicked beard. Just do it. And make sure to pick up some beard oil. Not just any beard oil, the best beard oil on the planet. I'm talking about Man Beard Company. Man Beard Company beard oils have the appropriate amount of fatty acids, vitamin E, and vitamin A to keep your beard in great shape. Uh, you'll notice the effects in just a few uses. Seriously, a couple days, uh, your beard will be looking and feeling way better. Uh, promotes uh, nice, even, strong facial hair growth. Keeps your beard soft. Uh, and uh, look, a lot of these these oils, they smell great, but it's real greasy. doesn't feel good on your skin. They're real oily. Not the case. This stuff is premium stuff. The best on the market. No greasiness, no oiliness. It is, it's, it's really good stuff. You need to pick up some Man Beard Company beard oil right now. Check them out over at manbeardco.com. That is manbeardco.com. Uh, use the promo code NOGIMMICKS. Once again, the promo code NOGIMMICKS for a great deal. Uh, punch the bear. Tame the beard. Man Beard Company. Check them out. And guys, please follow us on Twitter at NoGimmicksPod. Please subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, or Spotify. Uh, if you like what you're hearing and want to get involved, hit us up over on Patreon, patreon.com slash NoGimmicksPodcast. All right. Without further ado, here is my chat with Stephanie Slade. All right, guys, we're here with Reason Magazine Managing Editor Stephanie Slade. Stephanie, thanks so much for taking the time today. Uh, thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. So um, kind of a different episode today. We're not going to do that much of news of the day talk, but uh, we, we've all heard of the 1980s novel uh, Love in the Time of Cholera. How about we talk a little libertarianism in the time of corona? Um, <laughs> It is a difficult time, a strange and confusing time to be a libertarian in the United States right now. Um, you know, the Democrats don't like us. That goes without saying. But a lot of our friends on the right who who may even hold some libertarian positions themselves are, are parroting the dumb. You know, there are no libertarians in a pandemic line, you know. And then a lot of libertarians are, are going full on anything the state does is communism. OK, which I don't think that's necessarily I'm not I'm not an ANCAP. I'm not an anarchist. So I, I don't think that's necessarily true either. So we're, we're going to get into some detail here. But just looking back on the last few weeks and the, the few weeks we have ahead of us here. Where do we start? Like, how should libertarians be handling all of this? I mean, I, I, it's always good, I think, to be self-reflective and to consider whether um, events happening around us should cause us to update our priors. Um, definitely, I have nothing against that. That said, I mean, I look back at the last couple of months, and what do I see are two main trends. One, government failure, and two, private individuals and groups of individuals stepping up to meet needs, right? This is what is in the news. It is the CDC screwing us over. It's the FDA screwing us over. It is government racing to roll back stupid, unnecessary regulations that are 
keeping people from getting the things that they need in a time of crisis. And meanwhile, it's individuals, you know, story after story about individuals and neighborhood groups getting together to try to figure out how to take care of their neighbors, right? And and uh, companies on a dime pivoting to stop producing cars and start producing ventilators or whatever the case may be. I mean, this is this is what we're seeing. We're seeing civil society and, and the sort of private sphere meeting needs, even as government is, is just crapping the bed. Right. Time after time after time. So I don't really see this as a moment when we need to be like totally having a crisis of conscience about about the things that we came in sort of believing as libertarians. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And even uh, Donald Trump said the other day when uh, I think a certain governor, I can't remember who was was pushing him to uh, initiate the what's it called? The the Defense Production Act or, or something like that, forcing companies to to start producing uh, uh, medical equipment and whatnot. And he said, well, we don't really have to. Nobody said no. <laughs> you know, co- companies are, are voluntarily choosing to produce ventilators and stuff like that. And you see, you know, Elon Musk just delivered 1,000 ventilators to the California government. And Pornhub delivered 50,000 face masks to New York City. I don't know what they were doing with that. <laughs> I don't know. I've, I've, <laughs> yeah, no I idea. That, that question. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's a story for another day. But, you know, yeah, and like you said, shoot, the, the story out of Italy with uh, uh, private citizens 3D printing equipment and then getting sued by a, <laughs> a company uh, that had a patent on it or something like that. It seems like this crisis may produce more libertarians, uh, not less. But right, in, even... Yeah, go ahead. One of my favorites is the all the um, sort of liquor distilleries, like the whiskey distilleries all around the country that switched to producing hand sanitizer and either giving it out for free or or like giving people a free bottle of hand sanitizer with their purchase of a spirit. I, I just right. I think like markets are working. Markets are glorious and they're doing what we always said that they would do. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm sure uh, I'm not I'm not sure if they specifically, but I, I'm sure like beef eater gin would not have a hard time making that transition. Gin tastes like what I imagine hand sanitizer <laughs> tastes like, so I guess it makes sense. But even on like the governmental level, um, what state and local and, and even the federal government should be doing about this? I I just don't like the binary argument being had right now. Like everybody's prognosis for what should be done in the in the following month, both sides seem a little bit ridiculous. You know, like, and I don't know how much should be compelled by the state, obviously. Like, the state forcing people to do things at gunpoint makes me nervous. But I don't like the the, the one side, the, obviously, the screw the economy. Even if we save one life, it's worth, it's worse, it's worth, you know, the worst economic crash in the history of the country. That's what Andrew Cuomo, governor of New York, says. If we save one person, then it's worth the Great Depression. Well, that's insane. You know, how many people would commit suicide because they, they can no longer retire or they're now homeless? And then I don't like the whole, you know, we should have just gone for herd immunity to begin with and kept everything open and let the chips fall where they may. Yeah, you know, I don't really agree with that either. Like, I feel like we should be able to have a more adult conversation about this. Sure, absolutely. Absolutely. And there are conversations and, and even disagreements and debates happening among libertarians. I mean, among my colleagues at Reason, all of whom identify in one form or another as libertarians, there's a dis- disagreement about things like, you know, to what extent does the federal government have a responsibility to help p- people in this moment economically who cannot work because of orders to shut down their businesses? To what extent does the federal government have a responsibility when we have a public health crisis like this one, where there really is, I mean, there really are public health, unlike with some of these sort of fabricated, quote, 
public health crises like vaping or something. This one really right. does seem to meet the, the sort of dictionary definition. And so, you know, do they have a responsibility to um, to stop people from putting their neighbors and, and their fellow you know citizens at, at risk? There can be conversations about what is acceptable, what is not acceptable, are curfews a good idea, you know, shelter-in-place orders, that sort of thing. We can have those conversations. We don't necessarily have to be sort of rigidly dogmatic, but 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 we shouldn't, I think, throw away our sort of fundamental principles and our beliefs in, like, that government is not a very efficient way of solving those problems, that individuals are, for the most part, more or less good and will look out for each other and for themselves if given the chance, you know, and if the government gets out of the way, that liberty is an incredibly precious commodity that we should not be willing to trade away, you know, for just anything. Like these are things that I think they're, they're no less valid today than they were six months ago. Absolutely. And it's obviously important that we hold fast to those values now more than ever. I mean, you see Gavin Newsom, the governor of California, started uh, yesterday, started shutting off the water and electricity to uh, to businesses that he deemed non-essential that refused to close. So we're, I mean, we're looking at some real tyrannical shit going down right now. Like, you know, it started off, you know, you could make the excuse a lot of these measures were, you know, common sense initiatives to, to stop the spread of the virus. But we're looking at, you know, the California government shot down all, uh, shut down all gun stores. Uh, they're no longer allowed to sell guns and ammunition. I mean, yikes. I don't, I don't know uh, uh, what the justification is for that. But uh, you see them you know, using the force of the state, shutting down power and water to these companies. It's like... And that's the the gun store example is such a great um, illustration of the thing that libertarians often, I think, rightly warn about, which is that when in a time of crisis, even a legitimate crisis, um, those in power inevitably cannot help themselves. They cannot resist the temptation to use the crisis to try to get the things that they wanted anyway that have nothing to do with actually solving the underlying problem. And in some cases, in many cases, in most cases, maybe are going to make that problem worse. Um, but, but they, they, there's just this sense of like, I have a little bit of power and now's my moment when people are going to let me get away with, you know, flexing my muscles and they just cannot seem to resist the urge to do it. Yeah. It was it, uh, was it Claiborne? I believe the democratic congressman, I believe is Claiborne from, uh, South Carolina who said, you know, this is a perfect opportunity to, uh, rearrange the government to fit our needs or something it's like all right you're not supposed to all right man maybe you're getting a little older you you're not supposed to say the quiet part out loud <laughs> um the monstrous evil uh authoritarian part out loud you should probably keep that to yourself bud but uh yeah i think that's at least among democrats and a lot of republicans too that seems to be the general consensus right now right so we can't get into it in, in very much detail, obviously. Neither one of us have read the whole bill. It's you know something like 1,400 pages long. I don't think there's a single member of Congress who's read it yet. But uh, this this monstrous uh, $2 trillion stimulus package is expected to pass the Senate today. Um, and I, I skimmed through it. We can't get into too much detail. But there's a lot of corporate bailouts. There's a lot of subsidies to, uh, to state and local governments, to hospitals. Um, there's expanded unemployment benefits. There's a couple things that I think I agree with, and I haven't had enough time to really formulate an opinion one way or the other on any of this since it's all happening in real time right now. Uh, but I think just at face value, and let me know if you agree, a couple things that I agree with. One, the cash payments directly to, to families. And right now it's it's 1200 to individuals, 2400 to married couples making under 150 grand a year, and the zero interest loans to small businesses who have been shut down by government force. And, like, I, I think I'm fine with these two things. Obviously, I'm not fine with the 
printing money. We're already $23 trillion in debt, about to be $25 trillion, so that's not great. But, I mean, the government forced these people out of work. I mean, the government, at gunpoint, took money out of these families' pockets. They broke it. They buy it. I, I think just at least at face value, I, I'm okay with at least these two parts of the bill. I, I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I think there's a really important distinction to be drawn here that isn't necessarily getting made in, in our conversations about the question of, you know, what should the federal government do at an economic level? And that distinction is um, between whether we are spending money and taking steps in order to help people at a sort of humanitarian level, or if there's a, you know, also related to that would be a sort of justice argument. There is a sort of, uh, I think Tim Carney at the Washington Examiner wrote a piece where he said he used the word reparation. The federal government has shut down people's businesses and it owes them reparations for that. Um, that's an argument about justice. It's an argument about helping individuals and, and people, um, Americans who have been harmed by government action. Um, that's, I think, a very, very different beast than stimulus spending or spending money, just the government spending a huge amount of money in order to try to save the macro economy or spark economic growth. And the second one, I think, is far less defensible. Well, it, it's actually a little bit. I mean, it shouldn't it shouldn't surprise me. Nothing should, nothing should surprise me anymore that right, government right. will spend money on. But you know, we just we just it's been like hardly over a decade since we went through one of the one of these before where the argument was made: this crisis is unlike any other, and we must bend and break the rules uh, in order to keep the economy afloat because the the human you know the sort of results of the economy tanking if we do not if we do not spend a trillion dollars uh, on stimulus and bailouts will be so horrific that we can't even comp contemplate them. And so even many fiscal conservatives and Republicans supported that, you know, George Bush supported it. Um, and the idea was that it would, it would, it would stave off a really bad crisis. And even the most pessimistic projections for the sort of like the unemployment numbers that were supposed to follow, you know, if we pass the, if we pass these, these, um, stimulus spending, um, packages and these bailouts, we, we exceeded them. The unemployment rate were never as good as they were supposed. It was supposed to be. It was far worse than even the most pessimistic. You know, the the recovery lasted longer than anybody expected. It didn't work the way it was supposed to work. Is the point? It never does. The economic theory isn't there. The sort of historical economics evidence for Keynesian stimulus spending isn't there. It's not there. And we, as libertarians, have been saying that all along. And we ought not forget that in this moment. That like, there's always going to be a crisis that we that could make you know that could spark an argument that sounds reasonable for why this, this one's different. And we need, we really do need Keynesian stimulus spending this time. Um, right. And that I just think that, that we ought to have learned that lesson by now. Again, I think that's a, a different question from saying, do, does the government have an obligation to help Americans who are suffering in a humanitarian way? Yeah. And th that's absolutely right. And not that I, you know, necessarily agree with Keynesian stimulus spending ever, but we've been, the, I actually believe this is different. I mean, part part of it's the government's own fault. I don't know. Like, I don't know what the right answer, what what the state should have done from the beginning. Like, I don't know if, you know, maybe we should have gone for the, the herd immunity approach and just kept everything open, kept the economy going, so the recovery is a lot quicker when we actually do contain the virus. I don't know. But we've been spending like we're in a crisis every time. Like even even in in times of peace, times of prosperity, when there's no economic downturn, we're still spending like we're in a crisis. So if like if, if this were the first time since whenever, pick your crisis <laughs> that we're 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 spending money like this, that would be completely different than if we had done the exact same thing in 2008 and in you know the early 2000s. 
and in the 80s to defeat the Soviet Union, and you know, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, it's maybe this is a unique disaster that uh, that does need an influx of spending into the economy to, to keep it afloat. Maybe, maybe not. I have no idea. I'm not an economist. You make a great but, point, though, that like one of the things that is also infuriating from a libertarian perspective about the situation we find ourselves in right now is that there's nothing in reserve, right? We were spending, we've been spending beyond our means and so far, I mean, outrageously, laughably beyond our our means right. for the last for decades, uh, you know, under Republican control, under Democratic control, it doesn't seem to make a difference. We are so in debt that there is nothing there for us to call upon. There's no rainy day fund for us to call upon now. And in this, in this truly, you know, th- this is a moment that is unlike any other in many way and many in many ways. And there's nothing. There's nothing like that doesn't matter because there's nothing there. We can't say like, well, we were, we were good and we reduced spending during, you know, for the last, as we, as the economy, the Trump economy, as he likes to brag about was doing so well for the last three years. Um, we were, you know, we were doing a good job of, of, of reducing government spending and setting, you know, reducing the size of the, of the deficit and paying down the national debt. No, we didn't do it. We did literally the opposite of that. And so there, nothing. it makes it so much harder now in this moment to even, um, to have the resources we might need in order to try to fight off this threat. Yeah, I mean, any obviously the Republicans too, but especially the Democrats have been absolutely they've absolutely refused to cut spending in any way ever. I mean, look at you know the the last the last guy that actually attempted to reform entitlement programs was Paul Ryan, and he was accused of trying to kill your grandparents. So I mean, you know, noted libertarian Paul Ryan. Obviously, I say that sarcastically, you know, was accused of being a murderer because he wanted to, you know, raise the the age of uh, Social Security from 65 to 65 and a half or something, you know, some drastic measure to reduce spending, which probably wouldn't even have made too much of a difference. And the Democrats said he was trying to kill your family. So it's like if we had a perfect opportunity, obviously, we did have a booming stock market. The economy was pretty strong. You know, there's a lot of us libertarians can point to ways that the economy was never as strong as, as people claimed it was. But we had. Why didn't we end the war in Afghanistan then? <laughs> why didn't we raise the the age to collect Social Security from 65 to 70 or something like that? Why why didn't were any of these common sense reforms made in a time of relative peace and relative prosperity, knowing that something like that we were overdue for a recession anyway? Whether it's obviously now it's caused by this pandemic, but. You know, we're a few years overdue, technically, looking at throughout American history for a recession anyway. Why weren't these 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 changes being made when we had the money to do it, when we had the income to do it, and we had a relative time of peace and po- prosperity? I mean, nobody has the balls to, you know, what like what Harding and Coolidge did, tell the American people that we're going to have to tighten our belts, we need to reduce spending. Nobody had the balls to do it. Anybody that tried to do it got absolutely shellacked. I mean, Paul Ryan was driven out of office. Rand Paul came in fifth in Iowa and dropped out when he ran for president. I mean, nobody, the American people just don't have the stomach for it, and it's just frustrating. It is. It is. And there's another example of a thing that we did in the last few years that has made it even harder for us to respond to this crisis, which was uh, my colleague Eric Baim um, has, has been reporting on this, but he, he's our trade writer, and he has written about how the sort of trade war that we have decided to embark on the last few years, which specifically made, you know, reduced our imports from China, meant that we actually have less of all the things we used to get from China, which includes things like ventilators and medical equipment. And the head of the industry association that that sort of like health, um, health import, I forget the name of the organization, but they, um, he had actually testified a couple of years ago, like, hey, guys, these tariffs on China are going to hurt our hospital's ability to be prepared 
for a healthcare emergency. So we, we really have been doing almost exactly the opposite of the things that you that you would want to do in order to prepare a country to be to be ready to meet a moment like this. Exactly. And I mean, even on the topic of China, I mean, how are we going to hold China accountable for uh, releasing this virus on the entire planet when our response is to borrow another two trillion from China? I, I just don't know. It seems like a heck of a way to stick it to the Chinese Communist Party. I don't right. really know how that how that makes any sense. And uh, one, one more thing on, on this stimulus bill. There's a ton of pork, obviously, as you would expect in this bill. I mean, I, I'm not going to go through the list. I mean, one thing that jumped out, the Democrats added $300 million in, in uh, funding for PBS because, uh, of course, that has something to do with the coronavirus. Um, <laughs> you know, they, they want abortion funding in Africa for some reason. Kill, killing brown people in Africa obviously has a lot to do with fighting this global pandemic. You know, it's stuff like that. It's absolutely ridiculous. And I'm sure... Uh, as more information comes out about the contents of this bill, people like you and me are going to be more and more enraged. <laughs> no doubt, yeah. But I guess that's to be expected. It is Washington, D.C. So let's move on from coronavirus talk um, into, a, I don't know if it's a more cheery subject, not really, but um, Reason has talked a lot about um, this kind of Catholic nationalism movement that's been rising up on the right right now. Um and it seems like such odd timing to me. Like mo- most of these movements seem odd, but this one especially seems very odd because of the timing. I mean, the, the left has essentially won the culture war across the board, and uh, the people pushing for this stuff are in the extreme minority in our society. So, like, h- how is this happening? It, it seems very strange. Uh, the whole thing seems very strange to me. Yeah, I think that's right. I, and I would actually say it's not just a sort of Catholic phenomenon, because many of the most outspoken sort of the thought leaders in this new conservative nationalist zone um, are people like Yoram Hazani, who's an Israeli-American. So it's, right. it's definitely an ecumenical or a interfaith uh, authoritarian-ish kind of thing that's happening happening here uh equal opportunity authoritarians you might say right, um right. i think i think they're responding to some real phenomena so for example um i think they feel like during the obama years especially there was there was a real um there was overreaching that happened so the left didn't just sort of win the culture war in the sense of like in the marketplace of ideas they persuaded people to embrace gay marriage for example they, they didn't just do that and stop there they went further and they said we're also going to take these illiberal steps of using the power of the government to try to enforce our view of morality and our view of right and wrong on all you deplorables. So things like making people, um, you know, bake a cake for a gay wedding if they don't want to, making Catholic nuns pay for birth control, making Catholic hospitals do abortions, like all all these things that were sort of, that were sort of being, the wars that were being waged in the years before Donald Trump was elected president um, I think there's there's this kind of the backlash to that. There there's a, there's a sense. Sora Bamari, the famous essay written in First Things magazine, he basically said the left treats politics as war and enmity, and we should do the same. It's time to fight fire with fire. We tried sort of um, you know neutral public square where everything goes, and they didn't play fair, and so we shouldn't either. And this is what they're arguing. I I strongly disagree, and I think it's right. a mistake on pragmatic grounds and on moral grounds. But that, I, I think, is where they're coming from and why we're seeing that right now, even though it does, as you point out, seem very strange that just at the moment that these folks have sort of lost the cultural arguments, they would decide that that this is the, the time to go, go full sort of, I don't know, full Catholic integralist. 
Right, right. And I, I've had these debates with people on the show and with a lot of my friends who write for a, a, a plethora of different conservative outlets and stuff about this, Who guys that side with, with Sohrab Amari. I always suck at pronouncing his name. Um, but in, like they, they'll they say things to me like, oh, you don't care about justice. You don't care about these social issues or anything. I'm like, brother, that ain't it, man. I am a devout Christian. I'm a former youth pastor. I'm the singer and guitarist of a Christian rock band. I'm pro-life. Like, I, like look, I, I, I care about these issues, but the, the United States federal government has only gotten smaller once. That was in 1920 with the election of, of Warren G. Harding. It, it grew from the late... You know, 1780s until 1920, and then it got smaller for eight years, and it's been growing ever since. I just don't, th- and it only grows in one direction, and that's to the left. So I just don't like uh, using the force of the state to accomplish any of your goals seems just so foolish to me. I mean, just studying history, the government doesn't move to the right. It doesn't get smaller. A- anytime you use government force for something, the, the the left, the Democrats will use it against you sooner than later. Uh, and it's going to end up being worse than it was before. So I just think it's so short-sighted and so irresponsible. Yeah, I think the one sort of bit of optimism I have is that the sort of, because many of these folks, they're, they're very explicitly targeting classical liberalism and the liberal order. And they're saying, you know, this idea that, any you know, all ideas and all, all viewpoints should have a, a sort of equal claim to the public square, Um and, and all the other things that go along with, you know, free speech, religious liberty, um, due process, all of the stuff that you think of as classical liberal and, and the sort of liberal, classical liberal order, uh, they're saying, we tried it, it failed, it's time to try something else. And, and my answer is actually, we tried it and it has continuously um, protected the very things that you're, that you would care about, right? The, yes. the Supreme Court sided with Hobby Lobby, the Supreme Court sided with the Little Sisters of the Poor, the Supreme yes. Court has dismissed every single one of the of the lawsuits brought by the ACLU against Catholic hospitals, um, you know, Kavanaugh was placed on the bench. Uh, like all the things that they, that, I mean, yeah, it's true that there's like a drag queen story hour in Anaheim, and Sarabamari in New York doesn't like it. But that to me is such a small ball complaint compared to right. the to compared to the things that the left has tried to do, and that actually our system and our sort of institutions that 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 they're now wanting to toss out, you know, with the garbage, um, have have sort of prevented. So I, I I'm a little I'm optimistic as long as we don't lose sight of of, of right. our sort of our victories so far. It's 2020. You're not supposed to be optimistic. What are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, and another thing with the the David French Sorab or Amari thing, like most of, uh, and I disagree with David French on a lot of stuff. Obviously, as a libertarian, it's, I think his foreign policy is horrendous and horrible evil I, I would even say but like you know a lot of amari's attacks were just completely just sh- he was just straw manning him over and over i mean he was like, accusing david french of stuff he never said you know like so why, why are you totally fine with drag queen story hour it's like all right nobody no libertarian or conservative or anybody in their right mind anybody on the right anybody who cares about anything the future of the country their own children like nobody's okay with drag queen story hour like that's not what we're saying like I, it was just one straw man argument after another. And it's not. And it's, conti- actually, it's continuing. Like that that side is continuing with the straw man, the straw manning of our side. Like it's it's very frustrating to watch. Yeah, I mean, I would actually, I would defend Drag Queen Story Hour. It, they have the right to have that event, and you have the right to not take your kids to it and to argue for why other people shouldn't as well. And that's the right. way this is supposed to work. I mean, that that is how this is supposed to go. Um, I just don't see that as being 
there are there are many things in our you know modern society, the sort of post sexual revolution. I'm I'm Catholic. Um, I I don't love everything about the modern world, but um, but like I'm willing to say like we can we as long as we are we sort of stay stay true like keep, keep hold of our again our liberal values our classical liberal values not left progressive liberal um, I like I'm confident that like at least we will always have the the opportunity and the space to argue for our side and to try to win people back over to the side of sanity. But once you once you like abandon those values, then it's just might makes right and that that is not that's just I don't see that ending well for us for people on the right you know that just for, for us as a country and for for specifically the people on the right yeah I think you're absolutely right and this stuff like with this nationalist movement and I felt the same way with like the like 2005 2006 like the populism kind of movement too on the right uh which was kind of taking over and and you know I don't know how much President Trump had to do with that or not, it doesn't really matter. But it, it stuff really bothers me because it, it wasn't too long ago when it looked like libertarianism had a real shot at taking over the GOP, uh, or at least influencing the GOP in a major way. I mean, uh, I mean, the Tea Party had half of the country actually caring about debt and deficits for six months there. <laughs> I mean, you know, hey, they didn't really accomplish too much, but it, it at least brought it to the, the public's attention. And, and, you know, Ron Paul had massive crowds chanting, end the Fed, right? He had like college kids chanting, end the Fed at his rallies, right? And now, you know, I, I hate seeing all these, other, like the populism, the nationalism, these movements rising up because I feel like it's taking away from libertarianism in a way. It's like yeah. there, there's not enough room on the right for for radicals and we're radicals you know I, I want us to be the radicals on the right not not these other guys they're, they're, right. they're stealing our shine you know what i mean it's pissing me off <laughs> no i agree I, I always say and i i mean this i say this mostly tongue-in-cheek that my only hope is that if the sort of people on the far right the sort of the theocrat types on the right or the nationalists on the right um if, if they go so crazy far out into the fringes that maybe it will make us start to look like the same normal people for a change which would definitely be a change for us as libertarians. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I mean, I think it happened a little bit with the uh, when the populism thing kind of turned in like to the alt right with like kind of the racist kind of elements <laughs> jumping out. So I guess it made us look pretty good by comparison, I suppose. But uh, one more thing before I let you go, you have in your Twitter bio that you're uh, Reason Magazine's resident Catholic. Obviously, a lot of the people at Reason are not religious at all, and a lot of people on the right. Uh, maybe who just don't know anything about libertarianism, just assume that we're all atheists or something like that. And that's, that's of course, not true. So, I mean, is there any anything that would keep a, a religious person from being a libertarian? I, I don't think so. And I, I've written a lot about, um, specifically from a Catholic perspective, how I could sort of reconcile um, Catholic social teaching with my libertarian political views and whatnot. I mean, I think it helps a lot if you, like me, um, approach libertarianism I would identify as like a small L libertarian and a thin libertarian, which is to say that I don't think libertarianism gives me an entire like worldview for how to live in my private life. You got to look elsewhere for questions about morality and, and what is the good life and how should I make choices, you know, about how to interact with other people. But I think it gives an incredibly valuable framework for understanding the proper role of the state in society. Right. Uh, so that's that's how I approach libertarianism. That's how I view it. And um, viewed that way, I think it's perfectly consistent, even with, you know, a very, very orthodox Catholicism, which I, I basically am a, a pretty, um, I mean, I, I'm, I am a believing, church-going, you know, practicing Catholic, and I've never had an issue, and I've never had anybody, you know, be, 
succeeded persuading me that there's anything inconsistent about that. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And, you know, you said that uh, a really good point that I want to mention that uh, libertarianism can't give you your whole worldview and nothing can. No political ideology can can give you your entire worldview, not even, you know, capitalism. That's why I don't like Ayn Rand uh, very much because and, and the objectivists because they 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 worship free markets, right? They like free markets are their entire worldview down to the point where people should be selfish and do whatever they want. And if you want to abandon your kids and cheat on your wife, you can because do whatever you want. And that's all that matters. Okay. Like that's nuts. No, that's not a worldview. That's just you being selfish and greedy, you know? So like, you know, I don't think any ism, libertarianism or capitalism or anything can be a complete worldview. You know, I, I do run into like some, especially with like the, the hardcore, capital L libertarians, like the anarcho-capitalist types, um, will, will argue with me a lot because, you know, because my, I do value my faith above anything else in my life, right? So, like, I'm against uh, foreign aid for every other country other than Israel. <laughs> and, like, that's a, it's a complete betrayal of my libertarianism, right? It doesn't make any sense. And why do I want to support Israel? Because it says in the Bible, those who bless Israel will be blessed, and those who don't won't. And when God says something, I, I tend to take him at his word. <laughs> so that's just kind of how I how I believe. So it's like, I, I get it. Like, it does, there are some contradictions from time to time, I would say, between my, my faith and libertarianism. But, you know, not too often, and I, don't, I definitely don't think there's anything that would keep a religious person from being libertarian, certainly. I agree. All right. That's all I got. So uh, before I let you go, Stephanie, uh, thanks so much for doing this. I hope we can do it again soon and talk about some much cheerier subjects uh, <laughs> that would be- when, when, <laughs> when all this is over. But uh, where can everybody uh, read your stuff and follow you online and keep in touch and all that good stuff? Sure. Um, so I, I'm managing editor at Reason Magazine, reason.com. Very easy to remember. Um, also active on Twitter at Slade, S-R, S-L-A-D-E-S-R. And I always post my, my new stuff um, there. So that's probably the, the best way to keep up with what I'm up to. All right. Everybody follow uh, Stephanie on Twitter. She's great. Everybody check out Reason.com. Uh, that's all I got for today. I'm Brady Leonard. I'll be back on Monday. No gimmicks.